we're going to be going through a series that we're calling Living Scripture. And the idea, it's a double, double meaning. One is that, as, as we know in Hebrews, it says that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, that, 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 uh, that God's Word, is a, this is a living document, that it, it, um, it impacts our lives, that it's not just something that we read, but it reads us back, right? And so, so in one sense, we're looking at the living Scripture, uh, but in another sense, what I, we're doing is each speaker that comes up over the next several weeks is going to be sharing a passage uh, that has been powerful and personal in their own life in recent experience. And so each person that comes up to share with you over the next several weeks is going to be sharing a passage that God has laid on their heart um, where they're going to say, hey, I've been living out this scripture. This is a scripture that God's been using in my life. He's been sticking it in there and he's been stirring things around and he's been changing and transforming me with this word. And so now I want to come and share it with you. And so I get the honor of leading us off in this. And um, I'm going to be uh, preaching today from Philippians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 9. And so if you uh, turn there in your Bibles, um, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Um, let's read it, and then we'll, I'll dig into why I chose this passage uh, for this morning. So it says, Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Man, this, uh, this passage has spoke to me powerfully over the past several months, and, uh, and, and so part of it is related to, um, uh, I guess, one of the, the, the pivotal things uh, uh, our son uh, is here, as my wife Katrina over in the corner, is our son Wynn, he's, uh, he's hanging out, right? So he's seven and a half months old, and so um, we made a decision a little while back, I can't do the math on the spot here, right? But we said, hey, our youngest daughter is about to go into kindergarten, we're about to experience all kinds of freedom and new opportunities, uh, so why not make our life harder by jumping right back in and having another baby, uh, because we miss changing diapers and waking up in the middle of the night, right? So, um, so... We had prayed about it, and we really just felt like God, uh, like we, he, we weren't done. And, and, so we, um, and so we were blessed enough to be able to get pregnant, which is a blessing in and of itself. And, and as the pregnancy progressed, um, the further you get along, the more kids that you have and uh, everything, they start testing for a lot more things, right? Because uh, advanced maternal age, they call it, which my wife is not, you wouldn't think she'd be advanced maternal age, right? But, but they, um, they start testing for all these things because percentage-wise, they say there's a higher possibility of different sort of complications and challenges. And so they start, uh, you know, more ultrasounds, more tests, more appointments and everything. And the more that we started talking about these things, the more that it just started working its way into my mind where I'm like, well, man, what, what if there is a challenge with this, uh, this pregnancy? What if, it's, what if it's a difficult pregnancy for, for Katrina? What if, what, if, uh, what if there's some challenges with our baby? What, you know, and so I started, um, so anxiety started to creep up in my heart. I found myself when I was laying in bed, I would think about it. I'd wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it. Sometimes I would wake up in the morning just kind of worried about it. And, uh, and this anxiety began to seep into other areas of my life. And so 
I've always kind of wrestled a little bit with travel anxiety. I love to travel. I love to see new places and stuff. But, but right before the trip, I always kind of feel a little bit like, hey, am I getting sick? I feel tense. Like, what's going on? But it's, uh, usually it's not that big a deal. But I was experiencing it in, in kind of more powerful ways. We planned a baby moon to get away before we went. And so we uh, planned a trip. Originally, we were going to go on a cruise, but we didn't realize you can't, when you're past a certain point in your pregnancy, they won't let you get on a cruise ship because they don't want to deliver a baby out in the middle of the ocean, which we had never really thought about. And so, so we redirected and decided to go on a trip down to Miami. And uh, we're really looking forward to it. I was really excited about every aspect of it. There was no part of me that did not want to go on this trip. And yet I felt like um, sick, almost to the point of being like sick on my stomach of just like sort of anxiety about it. Um, and then when we got back from that trip, it was like the Super Bowl, which was an anxiety relieving moment for everybody, right? Uh, but the next morning then I had to travel out to St. Louis for a, for a conference and, uh, and I traveled out there and kind of had some of those sort of same feelings and things. And while I was out there, um, decided to go up into the, to the arch. Have any of you guys gone up in the arch in St. Louis before, right? And so if, you, if you've done this, uh, an elevator won't work because it's this like arch-shaped thing. And so it's almost like a, a Ferris wheel where it goes up and as it's going, it rotates uh, the way a Ferris wheel does. But it's this little... 1960s ball that looks like the Apollo moon lander or whatever and you climb into it and I don't struggle with claustrophobia but I was like it's like a six minute ride up to the top and I was a little ways into it and I was like I gotta get out of here I'm like sweating I'm like looking because you're going through like the guts of the arch so you're just seeing like pipes and concrete and all this stuff and man I so um, in a variety of ways I was just kind of experiencing anxiety um, when I first started preaching here at Riverside years and years ago on Saturday nights before I preached, I used to get, I would just get this sick feeling and I, I kind of feel sick on my stomach. And um, I didn't feel nervous. The message was prepared and everything, but I just kind of felt uh, anxiety would uh, affect me that way. And I'd be like, oh, what if I get sick in the middle of the night? Like if I call Keith at 3 a.m., is he actually going to come and be able to preach a message? And, and, you know, so I was just kind of wrestling with this. And then after a little while, I got used to it. And so I didn't deal with that anymore. But in this same time period, during the same time, I was starting to wrestle with that again to the point where even when my band wasn't playing and I wasn't preaching on Saturday night, I would, I would kind of feel sick and anxious prior to Sunday morning. So I was, I was just dealing with anxiety in a lot of ways, and it, it's what drove me uh, to really dig into this scripture passage that we're looking at uh, here today. And um, it's a really well-known passage about uh, worry and anxiety, and it, it, we've got it up here on the board. And so if you were to summarize it in your own mind, if you had to kind of put it into a phrase or a sentence, what, you don't have to shout it out, but just in your mind, think about, what, how would you summarize this, this uh, what, what is it saying here? What's the main idea of what it's saying? So take a minute, think about that. If you had to say it, what words would you include? I know that when, when I originally came to it, I looked at it and I said, hey, this is basically saying, don't be anxious, but instead pray and then you will have and experience a mysterious peace from God. Don't be anxious, but just instead of being anxious, you should pray. And when you pray, then you're going to experience this mysterious peace from God, which is not a terrible understanding of what it says, right? But, but here's the challenge. If you feel anxious, then you start to feel guilty for feeling anxious, right? Because you're like, oh, well, the Bible says don't be anxious, but I feel anxious. And I've been praying, but I have not yet entered into the peace that passes understanding. I don't, I don't have this mysterious peace, so I'm praying, and I'm anxious, and I feel like it's not working. And so now I feel like almost worse than when I started because I went to the Word, and it didn't, didn't help me, right? And so, so I don't want it to be that way for you today. Um, I, I think that as God had me just stir in this for, for months, there were some things that he showed me that I want to share with you today. And it's, it's really built on this idea. Um, 
modern Christianity, um, it, it, it kind of, uh, the pendulum swings, right? And so there's such an emphasis on grace that sometimes in, in the church today, the messages uh, land on just trust Jesus. Don't do anything. The only thing you have to do is just trust Jesus and just trust Jesus and everything's going to be all right and everything is going to be fine. Um, and it's, it's true biblically, right? But the challenge is, if every week I get up here and I was like, hey, just trust Jesus, and you go out and you're still struggling and you're still having difficulty, then you're like, well, either I'm bad at trusting Jesus <laughs> or Jesus isn't, isn't earning my trust. He's not doing what I want him to do. And so I don't want to deliver a message that tells you to just, just trust Jesus. I think what the Bible shows us clearly is it begins with trusting Jesus. Salvation comes through faith alone in Christ alone, right? And so, so we enter into salvation. We, we get a renewed heart. We get a new life. We are reborn. We get forgiveness. We get, we get all these things by simply putting our faith in Jesus. But as it says in Ephesians, it says, um, it's not of our works lest anyone should boast, but we are his workmanship created to do good works. And so once we understand what Jesus has done for us, then he doesn't want us just to stop there, he wants us to move forward. He wants us to move forward into the life that he has prepared and the work that he has prepared for us to do. And so sometimes, because we don't want people to just walk out with a checklist of do this, do this, do this, do this, we just stop with like, hey, just, just trust Jesus. But I think biblically the most faithful thing is to say, hey, instead of trusting in your own self-reliance, your own strength, your own abilities, what the world says, put all of that aside. Trust Jesus. Lean into him and then move forward in the things that he leads you to. And so what I want to show you today is five things that I think that Jesus is leading us to. But the, the, the challenge here is that you might say, okay, well, I'll, I'll skip this Jesus, <laughs> and I'll just take the five things, right? It's like, hey, can I get the turkey burger, but without the turkey or the burger? I just want, you know, right? Like, you've got to have Jesus. If you just take the, the things as five pieces of advice, they're not going to be helpful for you. They're not going to bring you freedom. It's only possible through Jesus. But Jesus wants you to focus your heart and your life and your energy into following and pursuing him. And I think that these are some ways that if you pursue these things, he's going to do some powerful things in your life. Okay? And so um, I know my sermons sometimes um, are, uh, are not the easiest to take notes on because I'm not always super structured with subpoints and everything. But today I've got five points. They all start with R. And so if you're a note taker, today's your day, right? You're, you're ready to go. If you're not a note taker, maybe today's a good day to start because who knows when this will happen again. Um, but five actions that I really feel like, like God is calling us to in this, right? The first one is rejoice. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Why does he say it twice? Because most of us don't listen the first time, right? <laughs> we hear rejoice and we're like, okay, that's like a, a Bible, uh, that's a Christianese Bible word. I'm just going to skip through that and kind of trying to get to something else, right? But he says, no, seriously, rejoice in the Lord. And this is one of these things that, that, that we talked about this actually last time in, in Acts 28. We talked about that we as Christians are people of hope, that we are people who should be defined by a joyous spirit. Why? Not because we're, we're fake, not because we're superficial, but because when we look out into the horizon of our future, what we see at the furthest thing that we can see is something of incredible joy and hope and promise that is worthy of rejoicing over, 
right? If, if we place our faith in Jesus, we know whatever trouble and, and, and difficulty and trial that we're in today, we know that it's going to ultimately lead us to a place where we are united to God, that we are experiencing joy and peace and, uh, and purpose, and that, and that Jesus is going to call us, and there will be no more sickness, and there will be no more death, and there will be no pain and no suffering. And so at our deepest uh, our deepest level, we are called to rejoice because of all of that, even when the things that are going on in our life are difficult, right? There, yes, there, there are wildfires in California, right? It's been tragic and, and scary to watch all that unfold, and we, and we, uh, we pray for them, and, uh, man, we empathize with that, and it's, and it's just a horrible thing, right? And, and there's, there's hurricanes, and there's, there's mass shootings, and there's political divisions, and there's racism, and there's, there's sickness, and there's loss, and there's betrayal. But none of those things change what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And so when we come to rejoice, we don't rejoice over the brokenness of the world around us. We rejoice over the victory that Jesus has won for us, which is unchangeable, which cannot be removed, which cannot be altered. There will be nothing that can happen in your life today that will alter one bit of what Jesus has already accomplished. And that's why with total authenticity, we can come in to church on Sunday morning in the midst of really difficult trials, in the midst of a bad diagnosis, in the midst of a broken relationship, in the midst of a, a job challenge or a relationship struggle, and we can come in and with total authenticity we can lift our hands and we can sing and we, we can rejoice and we can praise God because it's centered on something that's far greater than whatever's happening in our life right now. And so we begin by rejoicing. And so much of anxiety lives in, in a place of uncertainty and brokenness and depression. And, and, and so if we just reside in that and never lift our eyes up and rejoice, we never get to change our perspective, right? And so he calls us to rejoice. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Uh, he says, uh, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory, Beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And Paul knew this, right? We, we just studied his whole life in the book of Acts. We saw how many things. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was, he was stoned to the point where they thought he was dead. He was locked up. He was imprisoned. He was falsely accused. And he said, all these things are just light and momentary. They're transient. They're going to pass. This isn't going to last. The thing that I'm setting my heart on is the things that are going to last. And so we can rejoice in that. And, and, and Paul, specifically to the church in Philippi where he's writing this, how many of you remember the episode in the book of Acts when Paul goes to Philippi, the most famous thing that happened is he's locked up in prison. He's been beaten with rods. He's been thrown into jail. It's midnight. He's locked up in the darkness. And what is he doing? He's singing. <laughs> He's rejoicing, right? Maybe because he couldn't go to sleep because his back hurt too bad, right? <laughs> he's like, he's, he's, but, but he's singing. He's, he's rejoicing. So he wasn't asking them to do something that he wasn't doing himself. Later on, he says, the things that I've, you've seen me do, do those things. Well, that's what they knew about Paul. <laughs> they knew he was the guy who brought the gospel to town, who was beaten and falsely accused for it, who was thrown into prison, and who rejoiced in the Lord. And so we can rejoice in the Lord. One of the ways that I've personally moved forward in this over the, the journey that I've been on the past couple months, um, 
my friend uh, Anthony's here this morning. We, we had connected years ago. We kind of lost touch. We reconnected, and, um, and we wanted to start getting together. And so I suggested, hey, let's, let's walk through the book of Psalms, and let's pick Psalms. Let's meditate on them. And, uh, and he, he's a musician and a songwriter, and I do some of that. And so I said, let's, let's meditate on it, and let's try and write a song. And in two weeks, we'll get together, and we'll share the songs that we wrote, and, we will, uh, and we'll share what God has been showing us about that. And it's been a powerful and beautiful way, and a way of me continually going and rejoicing. The Psalms are full of rejoicing, right? They're reminders to rejoice. And so for me, it's been a really life-giving experience to be able to, to write these songs and kind of in my own words repeat God's word back to him and express that joy. And so for you, I would encourage you, how do you rejoice? Certainly, it's, it's one of the, the biggest arguments for coming here every Sunday morning, gathering together, and standing up and singing and praising God with a loud voice, right? There's a reason that we do this, and it's to remind ourselves that we have reason to rejoice. You can watch Internet Church, right? You can go online. You can find some great teachers uh, you can find guys with better notes than me that are much easier to follow along, right? Um, you can find bands that are awesome. But how many times are you in front of your computer just worshiping God, right? We don't do that at home. People would laugh at us, right? But when we come here together in the room, we get a chance to worship, to rejoice, to vocalize, to be reminded of the fact that we have an opportunity to rejoice. Maybe for you, it's just getting out into nature. And, and maybe you, uh, you just... You stare at beautiful nature scenery and tears come to your eyes because of the overwhelming presence of the Lord. Whatever it is for you, whatever allows you to rejoice in the Lord, invest time in that. It is a worthwhile investment of your time. It's not a waste of time. It's not selfish. It's not inconsequential. It's extremely important. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Number two, rejoice. The second thing, reason. Reason with one another. Have a reputation for reasonableness, he says. Um, now, this word that's translated as reasonableness by the, uh, by the ESV, your, your translation, if you have a King James or New King James or NIV, it might translate it as, um, as moderateness. It might be gentleness. Um, it might be fairness. It's, it's one of these Greek words that's kind of hard to translate. And so, quick aside, when Paul was writing this letter to the church in Philippi, he was writing in Greek. And so he was communicating the truth, the Holy Spirit-inspired truths of God to the church in Philippi in the Greek language. And then English uh, scholars and translators come in, they look at the Greek with the best understanding that they have to try and convey what he was saying in Greek to us as English speakers. And so sometimes it's really easy to translate, and sometimes those words are kind of hard to translate, which is why different translations of the Bible look at it a little bit differently. But, but this idea, um, it incorporate, incorporates gentleness, mildness, forbearing, being reasonable, being fair, being moderate. Um, one commentator said, reasonableness is crucial for maintaining community. It's the disposition that seeks what is best for everyone and not just for oneself. And so it's this attitude that says, hey, I'm not going to adopt a fringe opinion. I'm not going to go way out here on the extreme edge. I'm not going to go in and try and stir things up. It's an approach that says, hey, I want to understand what's really going on here. I want to understand what that person thinks and that person thinks, and I want to look at it in a reasonable way, and I want to bring forward a solution that is best for everyone. doesn't mean everybody will like the solution. Like if my solution is to have vegetables for dinner, my kids aren't going to like that, right? But it's the best solution uh, for everyone. And then sometimes we have pizza or, what, you know, whatever, pigs in a blanket. Yeah. My daughter's making crazy faces at me right now. Um, but we come and we're reasonable. 
Um, here, here's some proof of this, right? If you want evidence, just go on Facebook and post something like crazy, way out to the one side, and you're going to get your, your page filled up with comment after comment of people in all caps shouting at you, saying crazy stuff, right? It, it brings anxiety into our life when we're unreasonable. When we kind of shoot from the hip and we just kind of, we don't really reason and think out the implications of what we're doing, it brings anxiety, it brings stress, it brings trial, it brings division, it brings all these things into our life. And there's plenty of that to go around in life without that, right? And so, uh, so we're called to be reasonable. We see this so much easier in other people's lives, right? Well, when we see somebody battling this imaginary enemy or playing the what-if game or wasting time wishing that there was a different option. Um, I mentioned this in the first sermon. Emma's like, did I get in the sermon again? I was like, yes, you're in the sermon again, Emma, right? But uh, Emma's, uh, she's my sounding board as I'm working through my sermon material. And so her and I have been talking about reasonableness uh, this week. And so she'll say, dad, you're not being reasonable right now, right? But it usually comes in the thing of like, hey, do you want a turkey sandwich for lunch or do you want a salad for lunch? And she's like, I don't want either of those things. They're gross. I want pizza, right? Um, and I'll say, well, pizza is not an option. You can have a turkey sandwich or a salad. So which one of those do you hate less than the other one? Because that's your choices. There's no point in wasting time wishing that there was another choice. These are the choices. You have to be reasonable. You have to choose from what's there, right? And... Uh, and, uh, you know, because otherwise we end up playing this game where, you know, I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a girl who looked good. I would call her. I wish, right? Anybody with my early 90s hip hop? Anybody with me on that? Right? Yes. All right. Most of those things are true for me, but I got a girl that looks good. So I'm all right in that category, right? There's no point in wasting time playing the what-if game, right? It's, it's not reasonable, and it brings anxiety into our life. How, much, how many anxious moments have you spent saying, man, I just wish there was another option? I don't like the options I have. I wish there was another option. I, you know, I wish I had a different job. I mean, you can do something about that, but not today probably, right? And so there's something about, uh, it, you build anxiety by being unreasonable. And so he says, hey, not only be reasonable, but let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Have a reputation for being a reasonable person. Have your reputation. We as Christians should have a reputation for being reasonable, for being gentle, for being loving, right? For being bridge builders, for being the one that brings a solution to the table that everyone can agree on and accept, right? Is that how Christians are known in the world? Not typically, right? Because to write a book or to publish a blog or to do a video, you have to take an extreme position, but, but we need to be people that are reasonable. We need to be bridge builders. We need to show people the reasonableness of the gospel. Um, one of the things, I, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, I got to go out to York and uh, there was a, our association meeting was there, so there was over 300 churches from Pennsylvania and South Jersey that came together for our annual meeting, and I was invited to sit on this panel for rec racial reconciliation because that's a conversation I've been having for the past year. And the first question they asked is they said, hey, were you anxious when you were invited to be a part of the racial reconciliation discussion? Um, and I could honestly answer the question. I say, no, I, I wasn't anxious um, because, because God has been working this in my heart. I've been having this conversation. I've been exploring it. I've been studying it. I've been looking at it. I've been inviting other people to speak uh, their opinions and their viewpoint into my life so I could understand it. And so, um, yeah, I knew that there was going to be some things that were going to be exposed that I would need to deal with. I knew there were some comfort zones of mine that were going to have to be pulled apart. I knew that it was going to require some change. It was going to require me to be a, a kind listener. But I wasn't anxious. I was, I was anticipating it. And I think that that's what happens when we approach things in a reasonable manner. Instead of being anxious, 
we can anticipate like, hey, all right, God's going to change me. God's going to shape me. God's going to do something different in my heart. But I'm looking forward to it because I understand that where he's taking me is good. Right? And so, so the question for you is, is, is your reputation one of reasonableness? <laughs> Are you known as a reasonable person? If you go back and look through your Facebook scroll uh, or your Twitter feed, right? Uh, would you say, man, those are the writings of a reasonable person or not? Third thing is, is to replace. So rejoice, reason, replace. And this is the kind of obvious thing that you think. We're called to replace our anxiety with prayer. When we spend time wasting time thinking, worrying, stressing, playing out scenarios in our mind, we really need to learn how to translate that into prayer. And so that was one of the things that I started doing when I found myself laying in bed in the middle of the night, like kind of worrying. I would say, hey, I just need to pray about this. And I would start praying to God about it. And I would say, God, and, uh, and I would pray until I would fall asleep. And when I would wake up in the morning, if I felt worried about it, I would, I would start praying about it. And, uh, and, and so I began to transfer that worry into prayer. In fact, I started intentionally waking up 30 minutes earlier than I would normally wake up, specifically for the purpose of beginning my day in prayer, saying, hey, I know this is something that's continually on my heart, so I'm just going to start praying. I'm going to build 30 minutes into the beginning of the morning just to spend time praying specifically for this so that I can allow God's peace to come into my heart as I begin my day, and I don't begin my day in anxiety and worry and fear. So I began to replace my anxiety with prayer. There's a second replacement that he, that he shows in this passage, and it's a replacement of negative things with positive things, right? Look, look at what he says. He says, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. If you would go into your Netflix history and you would look at your recently watched <laughs> Is that a description of what's in there, right? Is it, is it things that are, that are pure and, and true and honorable and excellent? I know I'm not going to tell you guys what we were watching at the time because you would judge me, right? But, uh, but I know at the at this same season, in the same time when I was dealing with all this, I remember we were w going through one of these shows that I don't remember what it was, but it involved a lot of violence and vengeance and uh, stress and difficult situations. And, and part of that was feeding into my, my thought path. And I, I like to listen to sports radio, and, and sports radio in January around here, February, was pretty good, actually. There was a lot of happiness, much more than normal. But, but I said, hey, you know, I drive around in my car listening to this all day. Man, I, I need to set my mind on different things. And so I started downloading audiobooks. And so I downloaded Tim Keller's Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And I said, hey, you know, if, if that's the path that God chooses for me, I, I want to go into it with my eyes wide open. I want to understand. And so I began to, to listen to his teaching on on what it's like to walk with God through difficult things. And I downloaded the, the biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, as I talked about, and I, I listened to this man who was a pastor and a theologian trying to represent Jesus in Nazi Germany. And, and, and how did he do that? How did he, how did he bridge those things together? And so I began to fill my mind with those things instead of the other things that I was normally putting in there. And so I began to replace things that were less, less true, less noble, less excellent with things that are, were good and, and pure and excellent. Is God possibly calling you to replace something today? Is there something that he's saying, hey, this isn't sin for everyone. It's not horrible for everyone. It's not objectively and terribly bad. But for you in this season, you need to remove this so that you can replace it with something better. Something that draws you closer to me. Something that steers your heart closer to where my heart is. Rejoice, reason, replace, 
The fourth one is remember. And so that's exactly what I began to do. I began to memorize this scripture so that when I woke up in the middle of the night, I didn't have to open my Bible up. I could just pull it up from memory. Uh, but here's what happened. It was a really interesting thing. I began to do it, and so here's what I did. I said, I said okay, be, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace that passes understanding would dwell in your heart. And that's what I said, which is not a bad paraphrase of it, right? But, but when I went in the Bible and I looked at it, it said, uh, do not be anxious for everything, but in everything, uh, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's like, oh, that's different, right? God doesn't want me to just come complain to him right? God, why is this so broken? Why is this so messed up? Why won't you fix this? God, right? He also wants us to thank God. Thank you. Thank you for the good things that you've done. Thank you for the things, that, the blessings that you've got in my life right now today. Thank you for the blessings that I experienced today. Thank you for the eternal blessing that Jesus gave to me by what he did, which can never be changed and never be altered, right? And so you move from thankfulness to all of a sudden you're like, oh, man, I should be rejoicing. Oh, wait, there was a verse a little bit earlier about rejoice. So I expanded my memory verse, right? So then it started with rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Oh, I didn't see that part before either, right? <laughs> okay, so I, I, yeah, what does it mean to rejoice? What does it mean to be reasonable? For the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near, right? And so God... By memorizing scripture, by planning it in my heart, not only did it come to recollection when I needed it, but he expanded my understanding of what it was. And that's what we do sometimes. We paraphrase God's word down to the part that we think that we need, but we almost never know what we need. <laughs> that's, that's where it's better to go into God's word and let God's word tell us what we need. Because if we just go fishing for what we want, that's why I'm not a big fan of topical studies. They have a place and they have some value. But if you're just going to do a word search on all these things and you're just going to cherry pick the verses that you want out of it, you might miss the meaning of what God really has in that passage, in context, in what he's saying. And so he wants us to remember. Remember who he is. Remember what he's done. And it was amazing how many times God began to use that, not just in me selfishly, but in other people. How many times in conversations, some of you guys can attest to this, where I'd say, hey, you know what? Well, I've been meditating on Philippians 4 lately, and, and it says, you know, we shouldn't be anxious for anything, but we should pray with thanksgiving. And remember the good things that God had done. And so the blessing he was putting into me, I began to be able to pour out into other people. And I could see how he could use even the trial that I was going through to be able to be a blessing to other people. So we've got rejoice, we've got reason, we've got replace, we've got remember. And the fifth one is rest. He calls us to rest. Learn to enjoy rest when God provides it. Take a Sabbath, Right? Um, a lot of the reason that Israel gets in trouble in the Old Testament, a big thing, that, a big accusation God against, had against them, he said, hey, you've, you've ignored my Sabbath. You violated the Sabbath. I called you to work for six days and rest on the seventh day, and I called you to work the land for six years and on the seventh year to allow the land to rest and to reset, and you didn't do it. And so when they were taken into exile, he said, I'm going to tie your time in exile to the time that you stole from me by not observing the Sabbath. Because when we... We ignore rest when we ignore the Sabbath. It's essentially an expression of self-sufficiency. It says, hey, I have to do it. I have to keep working. I have to accomplish things. If I don't, it's all going to fall apart. And it shows a lack of trust in God. He, he did it intentionally because he wants us to rest in him. He wants us to say, hey, even if I don't make chicken sandwiches on Sunday, God is still going to bless my, my business, right? Like, uh, like I, I can still have a... Uh, Sorry, that was like too, <laughs> right? Too veiled, right? 
I'm always hungry for Chick-fil-A on Sunday, but they're not open because they take a Sabbath. But they seem to be doing okay, right? Same thing is true in our life. We, we need to learn how to take rest. One of the best things that for me was to push through my anxiety to make my way down to, uh, to Miami. One of the things that I was nervous about is we had never taken Uber before. And I was like, ah, I don't know how the app works. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, it's just a source of anxiety. It's an unknown. It was like a 40-minute ride from the hotel to, uh, to the airport to the hotel. Sure enough, we do it. I figured out. We get in the car. I talk to the lady for two minutes and um, find out she's a believer. And then she just like basically like, preaches her testimony for the next 35 minutes in the car ride. She's just like laying it on us. And it was awesome, right? This thing that I was anxious about became this incredible blessing in my life. Um, I, and getting down there and just spending time with my wife and, and, and just relaxing, just taking some time. Now, I wish I could go right back down to Miami right now. That's not, that's not an option for us, right? And for many of us, it's not an option to just go off somewhere on vacation. But you need to find rest in your normal schedule, in your life, where you're at. You need to find time to rest and don't put it aside and don't shove it aside and don't treat that as the one thing in your schedule that you can cut out. It's probably the most significant thing. One of the people in the, the Old Testament that dealt with anxiety the most was Elijah the prophet, right? He did these amazing things for God. He did all this incredible stuff, but yet after he accomplishes these great victories, he ends up huddled under this bush kind of crying and saying, God, nobody loves you but me. I'm the only one who's working hard for you. And an angel comes, and, and this is Ezra's modern paraphrase. He essentially says, hey, eat a Snickers and take a nap, right? <laughs> he says, you're hungry <laughs> and you're tired. You're hangry, you're right? And so uh, that's not exactly what he said, but he said, hey, here's some bread. Here's some water. Eat it. Take a, take a nap. When you wake up, do it again. <laughs> and then when you wake up again, then I'm going to send you off on a journey. Some of us, our anxiety is related directly to our schedules. We don't build rest into it. We don't allow room for God to speak into our lives. We don't allow space for him to move or to call us in a different direction. And we have to find ways to do that. We have to find ways to build rest into our schedule. And essentially, it's, a, it's an expression of trust in God. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were getting ready to be put in the fiery furnace, they said, hey, look, our God is able to save us. And if he chooses to do so, he's going to do it. But whether he does it or not, we're not going to bow down to you. And that's how we need to live our lives. We need to say, hey, hey, God, I trust you. I trust that your way is the best way, and I trust that you have the power to do whatever you want to do. And so I'm not going to think that I just have to work and work and work to get it. I'm going to, to take some seasons of rest and trust that you're going to accomplish your will. And that was really the breakthrough for me in this season was when I came to a point listening to walking with God through pain and suffering, meditating on these verses, praying, where God brought me to the place where I was totally okay with like, hey God, if the path that you have for us with this pregnancy involves trial, involves difficulty, in, involves things that, that are outside of my control, then I trust that that's what you want for me. And, and I will accept that. And I'll trust that you'll give me the strength to endure through it if that's what you want me to do. And I came to a real peace um, that passes understanding, and he was able to remove some of that anxiety from my heart. I, I can't tell you that I'm never anxious. I did sleep really well last night before this sermon, right? I, I didn't, uh, I wasn't up all night with a, with a stomach ache. There's one last thing I want to point out to you here. I grew up learning this as, as the peace that passes understanding, right? I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. I got the peace that passes understanding down in my heart. Um, 
And, and that kind of has the indication of it's a piece that passes understanding means that it's, it's beyond understanding. It's incomprehensible. It's a piece that, that we can't really understand. And, and that's an okay translation of it. Um, but the word in Greek, again, is, is a tricky one. And so in the, in the ASV, it says a piece that surpasses understanding. And there's something in the Greek that it, it, it leads to something that's superior, that's better. And so there's an element where he's saying, hey, the peace of God is better than having full understanding. We always want to understand, God, why are you taking me through this trial? Why are you leading me into this difficulty? God, what's, I want to understand what's going to happen if I do this. What, how will the dominoes fall if all these things happen? And what he says is, hey, the, the kind of peace that God can give you when he's, when he's giving you peace in your heart, it's better than understanding it all. To be able to trust in God and to have his peace is better than having full understanding. And if you can come to a place where you can receive that, it can really give you peace. Spoiler alert, we're never going to understand everything. <laughs> this side of heaven, we're just not going to understand it. There are going to be things that we don't understand. There's going to be things that happen that we can't comprehend. But we have to look at the cross, and we have to say, if God accomplished the greatest thing that ever happened in all of humanity by sending his son to be tortured and to die on a cross, and that was how he worked the greatest victory that was possible, then this trial in my life, then he can bring something good out of this too. He can work this to bring something good. I may never see it. I may never understand it. I might not know it. But I trust that he can do it because he's done it before. And he can do it again. The last thing that I'll look at is this. Is it wrong to feel anxious? Well, if it is, then Jesus was wrong in the garden, right? Because when Jesus was in the garden, he felt anxious about the cross. He felt anxious about taking the sins of the world and experiencing separation from the, the Father. And he had anxiety and he sweat drops of blood. It's not, it's not the feeling of anxiety that, that's sinful and wrong. It's what we do with it. And what did we see Jesus do with it when he felt that way? He said, I'm going to go off. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek the will of the Father. And in fact, sadly, he invited his friends to pray with him and none of them prayed with him. They all took a nap. They listened to the wrong part of my sermon. But Jesus prayed, and ultimately he said, Father, I wish there was a different way, but this isn't a wishing game. <laughs> I'm reasonable. There's, a, there's, there's an option that's laid before me, and the option is to walk towards the cross. And I trust that you're leading me in the right direction. And so we have to follow the steps of Jesus. We have to do the same thing with our anxiety. When we experience it, we have to say, God, I just trust that you're good, that your word is true, and I'm going to walk forward and trust that you do it. And we just got to continually practice those things. I can't promise you that if you do those five things that all of your anxiety will disappear. But I feel incredibly confident that if you follow these five things inspired and led by the gospel, that God is going to do good work in your heart. He can't help but do good work in your heart in these things. And so if you want to do something... <laughs> push into these things and watch what God does. And then tell your story to somebody because your story might be the thing that triggers somebody else to walk in that path. Join me in prayer.